reading from John. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what concern is that to you and to me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now standing there were six stone water jars for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to them, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the chief steward. So they took it. When the steward tasted the water that had become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the steward called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first and then the inferior wine after the guests have become drunk. But you have kept the good wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of his signs in Cana of Galilee and revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Here ends the lesson. Grace to you and peace from Christ and our, who is our savior. So thanks uh, to all of you. Thanks, especially to your rector, Beth, for her leadership, for example. I give thanks for all you do for our Lord in this part of his vineyard. I'm so intrigued by your art. I'm hoping that one day I'll get to see one of your exhibits. And uh, I'm also so uh, pleased with your work on outreach. Um, And mainly for the fact that even virtually, I can sense that Holy Communion is not just something you do on Sunday, but it's a reality about who you are. So thank you, thank you, thank you. So to today's gospel, you know, the truth is it doesn't matter how you plan, something always goes wrong. Something is going to go wrong today as we meet in Zoom world. So for me, it's you can't find the right shoes or you can't find the right address or uh, sometimes the wine and the party runs out. And sometimes you end up with COVID-19 for a year and a half. And sometimes over 800,000 Americans die. The thing is, because we live on this side of heaven, something will always go wrong because we live in a world that is incomplete. If it's not the virus, it's the economy, or it's your next door neighbor, or it's our politicians, or it's your children, or it's your parents, or your dog, or the internet, or bishops like me, or we could make a list all day long. But the point is not whether bad things will happen, they will happen. The point is, how do we respond to that? The theologian Walter Wink says that as humans, typically we choose one of two responses, fight or flight. So when our routine uh, expectations get disrupted, we choose one of those. So the, the flight option, which is sort of the Southern option, is just to imagine that nothing really happened. When I was growing up, uh, my older brother became a, a uh, trial lawyer, so you can tell that he was not afraid of mixing it up with people. 
in my family, when there'd be a heated discussion, my mother would sort of say, I guess we're just saying all the same thing. And we'd go, no, mom, we're not saying all the same thing. Um, but it was her polite way of flight. Um, it was her way of trying to escape the problem. But of course, flight doesn't help and fight doesn't help. Um, we can't just pretend that they're good people and they're bad people. And if we could just get rid of the bad people, the world would be so much better because conveniently we assume that we are always the good people. Right? So as I was thinking about this, I remembered uh, a uh, quote from the Russian writer, Alexander Solzhenitsyn. And this is what he wrote. If only it were so simple, if only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds, and it were only necessary to separate them from the rest of us. But, he says, the line dividing good and evil runs through the heart of every human being. And who is willing to destroy a piece of his or her own heart? Isn't it convenient that God loves the same people we do? In the gospel reading, Mary doesn't choose this option because, frankly, it would make her world too small. It is not our job to label who is good and bad. Our job is to see the goodness in every person and to invite that goodness to grow. So notice that Mary doesn't rant. She doesn't rave. She doesn't chew out the first waiter she can find. She doesn't leave in a huff and go find another wedding that has a better party with more wine. Um, she, she chooses the third option, which is to engage. Because the, the truth is, we cannot grow as a nation, we cannot grow as a church, if we just stick to those two options. It doesn't work to demonize someone else so that we feel good about ourselves. And it doesn't work to simply ignore the shortcomings of the world or pretend that it's just, it will just go away if we just ignore it. We as Christians are called to find this third way, which is the way of Jesus, which is the way of engaging the world through the lens of God's love for us and God's love for all human beings. It's not fight, it's not flight, it's faithfulness, it's fidelity. Because faith is always about trust. It's about confidence in God. It's about believing that regardless of the circumstances, God will be with us. And our object is to always connect to the still point of a turning world. And so Mary shows us this example. She doesn't rant. She doesn't blame people. She doesn't leave in a huff. She doesn't pretend that nothing is wrong. She turns to Jesus and she says, they have no wine. And notice what happens. Jesus says, woman, what concern is that to you and me? I have to say I puzzled with this all week long. I was like, Jesus, we thought you were an Episcopalian, and this isn't a very polite thing to say, right? But, but what he's really trying to get to is, what is your agenda? Why are you asking this? 
He's trying to get to what are your motives in this? And so at this point, Mary could, being his mother, give him a lecture about hospitality. She could sort of mention one of the commandments about honoring your father and mother, but she doesn't because she's not into fight and she's not into flight. Notice what she does. She turns to the servants and she says, do whatever he tells you. Because she is emptying herself of of bearing this burden and she's pushing it to the one who can do something. We have a fancy word for this. It's called kenosis, K-E-N-O-S-I-S. And kenosis is self-emptying. Kenosis is letting go of your little ego and your small agenda and your need to be right. And instead, turning everything over to the Lord. This is what we do in the great Thanksgiving. This is what we do in the Eucharist. With truly thankful hearts, we show forth your praise, not only with our lips, but in our lives by giving up ourselves to your service. That is kenosis, letting go, giving up ourselves to God's service to do whatever Jesus calls us to do. Here's the thing. When we let go of how we think the world should work and turn things over to God in Christ through the Holy Spirit, suddenly everything turns. Suddenly everything changes. Suddenly the water becomes wine. Because the key is for us to surrender. The key is for us to turn and listen. The key is for us to call upon God. Dear God, I cannot manage this. My life is unmanageable. Will you come? And when we do that, then we can let go of all our labels liberal, conservative, right and wrong, with us or against us. The thing is, we are so hard-hearted, much less hard-headed, that it often takes a crisis for us to get there. It often means that the wine has to run out for us to actually turn to Jesus. But if it happens once, then when it happens again, we know the pattern. We remember who we are. We remember why we're here. We remember what we're called to do. We're called to take the first step. We're called to surrender to God's will and obey what God's calling us to do. I was trying to think of an example that was helpful. uh, And this is the one I came up with. You can tell me later if it's actually helpful or not. In 1976, Northern Ireland was deep into the troubles. And so, as you know, this was this huge struggle between the Catholics and the Protestants. And if we ever get to go to the movies again, uh, go see the movie Belfast, which is an amazing movie about the troubles in Northern Ireland. But, But this had gone beyond arguments into violence. Betty Williams was an office worker. She was not particularly political. She was busy with her job. She was married. She had children. Her days were full. One August of 1976, she was walking from work uh, to home. And a member of the IRA was driving a car down the street. 
Um, and as he was driving, the British troops thought he was going to plow into to a crowd, and so they shot him. And his car spun out of control and ended up killing three children. Now, if we were Betty Williams, we could have gone to Facebook, except there wasn't a Facebook in 1976, and we could have complained and talked about how horrible those other people were. Or we could have gotten on a talk show, or we could have, we could have uh, somehow found a way to uh, boycott something, uh, or we could have gone the other way. We could have just said, oh, well, things happen, and ignored it. Um, and then felt sort of morally superior that we don't do those kinds of things. And maybe those are appropriate responses, maybe, but the point is, will they ever change anything? Is this what Jesus wants us to do, is just to say, oh, well? So Betty Williams did an amazing thing. She surrendered to God's will. She practiced kenosis, and instead of ignoring the problem, that very night, she began knocking on her neighbor's doors. And she began saying to them, we cannot live like this anymore. We cannot live like this anymore. She found out that conversation led to conversion, led to communion. She formed a a uh, program called the Peace People, and this set up local groups of peace groups that would bring people with opposing views to go into conversation with one another so they could find communion. In 1976, Betty Williams won the Nobel Peace Prize. One woman on her way from work who, when the wine ran out, instead listened for what she was called to do and turned around and practiced kenosis and changed the nation and moved that country towards peace. So, my brothers and sisters, the truth is we all know the wine is always running out. And there's always a temptation to blame someone, to fight or to ignore it and simply go into flight. But God is calling for us to go deeper. God is calling for us to turn to Jesus, to listen for what he asks us to do, and then to be part of his healing of a broken world. Because the wine runs out somewhere, but that is our opportunity to remember who God is and what we're called to do. And if we do that, then God's people will have what they need, and we will all catch a glimpse of heaven here and now. May it be so. Amen.